Thanks for listening to the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour. One hour of tips from experts and real stories from people just like you. For those thinking about what lies ahead, for those going through the job search, and those who have paved the way to their next career after the military. These professionals are dedicated to helping you move forward successfully to the next phase of your career after the military. Welcome to Exchange. Welcome to the show. This episode is kicked off by the person that is in the soup, flying by navigation, instruments, trying to figure it all out. And I found a really good one. Her name is Autumn Wheeler. She spent 20 years in the U.S. Army. She's currently SATCOM in Colorado Springs, wanting to stay in Colorado, use that big sexy clearance that she has to do a great job. But the issue is she's got a year. So what are you doing in this year of planning I'm curious what you're doing and what is happening to you. You shared a story of somebody who wanted a couple dollars from you. Why don't you go ahead and say hi and tell us where you're at, Autumn? This last year has been interesting. Um, I actually started my what we call exit strategy from the Army about five years ago when I encountered a problem that I didn't have a plan. So I started the plan and it's all come to head this last year. So this summer I got my bachelor's in uh, computer networks and cybersecurity. This, what I'm currently working on is studying for my CYSA plus certification exam to uh, re-up and maintain my security plus and network plus certifications. The other thing is I'm going to be doing one final Army course, which will be Army Space Control Planners course through the Army Space and Missile Command. And then that should help me either maintain a job within one the DOD contractor sector for that or allow me to stay within U.S. Army Space and Missile Command as a, a GS civilian. Not entirely sure. So mm-hmm. the plan is more schools until I can do my, uh, my skill bridge. Currently applying for skill bridge programs. I'm applying early apparently. Um, but I need to process my packets by February for a May timeline. And then see it. The skill bridge will be from May until August, August. I finalize everything. I start clearing in September, mid September. I start terminal leave Mm -hmm. and then that's it. That's it. Sounds like a lot. So I tell this to everybody getting Getting a job is a full-time job, and leaving the military after 20 years is a lot. You have a lot more than just getting a job. How are you handling, are you balancing it, or have you even started thinking about it? It's stressing me out immensely, and I worry immensely because I've been planning for so long and doing everything for so long that I'm hitting milestones early. I'm not hitting anything late, thankfully, but I'm hitting them early. And then I have a lot of waiting time. So this summer, I finished a degree. I bought the house. I transitioned my family to our forever home. And now I'm waiting. And I am stuck waiting. 
and I can't, I don't like the hurry up and wait and transitioning my mind to civilian and transitioning my life to, we don't know what's happening next. We don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on next. We don't have the guaranteed paycheck. We don't have it. It's nerve wracking (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned that there's a saying, well, a word that you're all using is limbo. You are in limbo. Explain what that is for those who don't know. So limbo when you're retiring or separating from the army is everyone in your command knows that you don't have much time left. If you're a senior or in a senior leadership position like I am, you are either still expected to operate at that level with the general military authority, or you're being asked, why are you still here? (laughs) You can't really commit to anything, but you really can't not do anything because you're not authorized yet to go to all your appointments, to go to the VA, to disappear for job interviews. You're not at that point yet. And you're just waiting. (laughs) Did you get any pressure to stay? Yes and no. So there was a point about a year ago where they were asking staff sergeants in the army to extend out past 20 years to 22 years. They also at that same time said that if you are able to retire, you can submit your retirement packets two years ahead at your 18 year mark. I submitted my retirement packet at 18 years. It was approved at 19 years. I had a couple of other battle buddies or who did the extension out two years in the hopes to make certain first class. I had no desire to, and my uh, order of merit list was too high to even be considered available for promotion and promotable, but with my MOS and the amount of people in the MOS, that wouldn't happen till maybe three years from the point I hit the, the list. And by that time, I would already be retired. It, and I was also tired. <laughs> I am so very tired. Um, I was joking with my husband. Oh, tell me. Tell me the joke. Uh, that you know it's time to retire when your new soldier in your unit is the same age as your niece or your nephew. Or your daughter. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So my niece turned 18 this last fall. And there's a soldier in my unit who signed in that turned 19. uh, Will be turning 19 in the spring. I was like, you're old enough to be my kid. It's time to go. (laughs) It's time to go. As you try and think of the future, and I know a lot of folks that are in your position, it's hard to navigate because there's just so much to do. So much to do in the last year. I know there's a lot of fear. Let's not speak to the fear. Let's talk about your plan. It sounds like you got ahead of the plan. But how are you able to, and like you said, there's so much waiting. Like, hurry up, wait. I've hit my mark, wait. What if things don't work out? What's your plan B? So plan A is uh, DOD contracting. Plan B is uh, GS within U.S. Army. Plan C is federal employment. And um, that is 
the plans. Uh, plan D and F require me to sell my house and move out of state, and we do not want to think about D and F because we just bought the house. We want to keep it. <laughs> yeah. So when you're stuck to a location, it makes your job searching kind of difficult. And as you know, in the government contracting world, contracts are won in certain time periods. They may not have the same job now or then or when you're available that they do now. So it makes for kind of crazy making time when you're looking. And I tell people all the time, do your research. You're like, yes, I want this job. It's like, okay, hold on. That specialist job might not be available in nine months when you're available to hit the the go button. I did notice, um, because I've had my LinkedIn profile for about five years when I initially started this lovely okay. transition. Every August through September, LinkedIn recruiters are more rampant for DOD contracts. And that's because the annual contracts are coming up for reevaluation and renewal and companies are bidding for new contracts. I noticed it really bad this year because I'm within my year that I was getting recruiter emails and messages daily, if not multiple a day uh, during that time period. And then November hit and everyone's like, uh, yeah, you're too soon. You're too early. You're, it's not worth it. And then every crickets. You have an open to work banner on your LinkedIn. I'm going to give you another option on my website, which is X change podcast, the letter X change podcast.com. You can go and get a new banner that gives your availability date. Now, LinkedIn doesn't like that. They're like, oh, they're taking themselves off the recruiter, hire blah, 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 whatever. Let them handle it. Three months out, put your damn green banner on. But use my banner because what's happening is, and it's not, people are like, oh my gosh, it's, I just get to, I get to talk to all these recruiters. Let me tell you something as a recruiter. I love talking to people. I do it all day long. But if I'm talking to a year ahead of time, it's a very short conversation. I'm going to rely on you to keep in touch with me rather than me keeping in touch with you. And it's just challenging. It's a far better conversation if you can plan when you talk to people, especially recruiters. So recruiters, for those of you listening, and for you too, Autumn, we're trying to fill jobs 30, 60, 90 days max. So I need to fill jobs now now. And it's great to meet and talk with you, but I want to talk with you at the right time. So I'm going to quiz you now. All right. So you've been planning. You're a planner. I love it because you are a military (laughs) professional. You were, you're somebody I wrote my book for. You are a planner. Um, As you plan, I'm curious, when do you think you should be talking to recruiters or are you talking to staff? Because you're obviously networking. You're very receptive to when I reached out to you. How are you monetizing your time on LinkedIn right now? So uh, my LinkedIn profile, like I said, was created uh, five years ago. So initially, um, I started connecting within the organization that I was working with at the time, which was uh, JCSE, Joint Support Communication Environment. Connected to their LinkedIn profile, connected to the active duty personnel in the DOD civilians and contractors within the organization. And kept on that going with every unit that I've ever been assigned to. More recently, I've been looking at companies on LinkedIn and if they are interested in it or I see a job posting, I scroll to the bottom of the job posting and there's a little button that says, let the company know that you're interested in working for them. So I click that button. 
I follow the company and because I follow the company, I can now see their social post. So some of the companies that I really enjoy are those that are doing humanitarian work or community involvement. So as they share their posts, I interact with their, with, by liking or commenting or sharing something that I enjoy. Um, currently, uh, posts that I'm re-sharing are job fairs like USO or military operation home front type stories. The companies that I'm interested in are supporting those also. So they're giving back to the military and I'm trying to still give back to the military. So it's in line with my focus. How much time are you spending on LinkedIn a day, a week? Right now I spend about maybe an hour on LinkedIn. I get a, my LinkedIn sends me notifications if, somebody messages me. So I'll pop in and LinkedIn and see who messaged me. A lot of it is uh, recruiters who just want to know to send me something. Sometimes it's uh, college. There's a lot of, hey, do your master's with us uh, emails. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing my master's yet, not until I get hired. <laughs> they can help me with that because my TA will run out and I don't want it to run out while I'm halfway through a master's program. That'd be bad. I'm not in LinkedIn unless I absolutely need to be. Um, I'll pop in if I see a notification. Hey, somebody reshared your thing or messaged you directly. If you or someone you know would like to be featured on the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour podcast, write to us at the letter xchangepodcast.com. That's xchangepodcast.com. Thank you again for your support. Now, let's get back to the show. Are you working with any of the veteran organizations, Veterati, um, American Corporate Partners, Hiring Our Heroes, any of those folks? I'm working with Hiring Our Heroes. Hiring Our Heroes helped me most recently with revamping my resume. And they're supposed to be contacting me again about how to correct or fix my LinkedIn profile. Some of the things that I do with my LinkedIn profile is if I find a job uh, that I like and this skill doesn't match my profile that I know I have, I'll add it to my profile. What do you mean? You'll add it to your profile. What do you? Every job posting within LinkedIn they'll have five, cro five or more core skills that they're looking for, mm -hmm. such as in my field, um, commuting, uh, Windows administration, networking, um, security gotcha. clearance, communication, uh, people skills, random generic uh, skills. You can add those from in LinkedIn to your profile and you can associate them to a job uh, field that you've worked in the past if you're missing that skill on your profile because uh -huh. you didn't know that you could do it in the per <laughs> when you were setting it up the first time. Are you also doing this on your resume so it's reflected? Yes, because it was already on the resume. I just didn't have it on the LinkedIn or okay. vice versa. One of my struggles is I'm incredibly humble. <laughs> Uh, singing my own praises of what I do has been a challenge. It's hard. I, yeah. <laughs> military, we're, we just do it. It's just 
our thing. Um, do everything. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. I hear that a lot. And you can, and you could, but it's, you know, when it comes down to skills and it comes down to, so let's talk a little bit about government contracting because that's really my wheelhouse. When an LCAT is written from an RFP of a contract that has been won, it's very important that the person that they're hiring matches the skills that is in the RFP or the LCAT. So job descriptions are written specifically from what is called the LCAT and the LCAT comes from that contract. So people are like, well, I have six years of experience and you need 10. It's like, well, we really need 10 years of experience because that's what's in the contract. That's what this company won and that's what they are staffing. So I hear a lot of this when I'm working recruiting in the DOD spaces, but I have almost five years or I have almost six years or I have almost this. It's like, I hate to say this to you. Okay. If you're a couple months shy, we can go back and see, but it really has to be. So when you're getting those original, maybe thank you so much for applying to this ABC job at XYZ company. It may be that you are not matching in terms of time, mm -hmm. the what's on those basic qualifications or those additional qualifications. So I, I want to share that with you because you're truly in the soup and you're going to start hitting the apply button in about five or six months. So you're going to learn this hard, hard skills, hard times. And if you aren't able, Autumn, to put together what you did in a very concrete way, um, work backwards. You know, think of the systems you worked on. Think of the technical aspects of your job, because if anything, I know you could probably build a house. I say this to people all the time. I can do so many things. Do you want me to build a house? You might not want me to, you, you might not want to live in it, but I can pretty much build it. All right. I'll, I'll follow a few YouTube channels. I've seen it done. I know I can do it. And that's how we enter in. And it's funny too, because companies want us. Oh, women don't apply for jobs that they're, oh, you know, men will apply for things that they're only 30% good at. It's like, hold on. In the government contracting space, everybody has to have what's on that piece of paper or they don't get through the gate. Now, in other jobs where maybe you aren't utilizing your clearance or it isn't federal dollars, they have a lot more room, a lot more wiggle room, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But for government contracting, it's very specific. So I'm glad that you're doing that. Make sure that your resume and your LinkedIn also have the same, but always boil it down to technical skills. What did you do on a technical basis? What software systems, what hardware? Break it down. And if you can explain it that way, if you worked with dollars, if you worked with numbers of people, so look at percentages, dollars, as in the dollar sign, numbers, as in put numbers in your resume, break it up and see how that looks and feels. And then you'll start going, oh, I did that. Oh, I did that. Oh, that's right. And I worked on that project before that project. So good luck with that. Thanks for letting me interject. What is the ch most challenging part for you right now as you fly by instruments as you're in the soup? Knowing the proper times, because I've been so forward thinking and I've done some things so incredibly early, it's been difficult because my uh, skill bridge program, I've had soldiers that didn't do anything. They were supposed to start their skill bridge in September and they hadn't applied to a single company. That made me nervous. So when I started looking at things and I went to the briefing, I didn't actually go to a briefing. I went directly to our local skill bridge program coordinator. I was like, 
when do I need to start doing this? He's like, now. He's like, for, for May dates, you need to have your packets in by February to us in your local command. So that's three months prior to me starting my CSP. Backdating three from that date, that's five months to give me time to find the company, get approval from the company, and get their letter of understanding and their letter of, yes, we will hire you once it's approved by your local command. I have five months to do that. Mm-hmm. That being said, I started everything during holiday season. I don't think I'll get a word in from anybody until later this month. But <laughs> There's some companies I want to share because I think a lot of people think they go through SkillBridge and they're offered, it's an automatic job. It's not. Mm-mm. So some companies are not going to, they're going to give you the opportunity to apply to a job that they have at their company. But a lot of folks, and I've helped companies develop SkillBridge programs. It's what I do as an HR consultant, one of the things. But they come in and they're like, well, I'm going to get a job, right? It's like, no, we can't promise you a job. You're active duty. And the company that I was working with was a DOD contractor. They could not offer you a job. You're still active duty. Even though you're on your SkillBridge terminal leave, you're still a client of theirs. So they can give you the opportunity to apply for a job, which you would then start when you were available off the books from the army, the Navy, the military, you know, all of those branches. But I don't think people understand that. So they come in and they're like, you're, you're not going to give me a job. I was like, no, you still have to, you have to earn the job. But there are companies that will, and they will use those 12 weeks or whatever period of time as training. So there's two things I want you to look at. Look at registered apprenticeship programs, RAPs. Okay. Those are very difficult to find if you have them in your state, see if you can get into one. Um, if, if a company is calling themselves uh, has a registered apprenticeship program, that's a trademark, they have to be signed up and approved by the government. SkillBridge is a little looser. You can have a SkillBridge program. You can go through a third party vendor like a Hiring Our Heroes who are excellent. But again, they have hundreds of companies that are looking at your resumes. You might be interviewing with so many different companies. Keep open. You know, don't just pick one company and think that's what you're going to do. But I've also met people like yourself, Autumn, that had they picked their company and then they picked the job they wanted and they had to tell the company, this is what I want to do. Or they had to create the job as the internship or the skill bridge program went on. And to me, that just feels like a lot of work. I think companies can do a better job, especially ones that have these type of jobs open all the time. You know, it's, if you want to be a pharmacy tech at a Walgreens or a CVS, those jobs are going to be there, right? They're going to be there today or in a year. So where are you headed? Are you going to use your satcom experience? What, what are you going to do? What's your, what's your dream job? My actual dream job is to train the next generation. I want to be what is called a secondary educator. I want to, I would like to train the local population, their jobs for um, the military or their their jobs within the organization with my extensive knowledge of uh, military SATCOM communications. I found my love of instructing and teaching while I was an instructor at the schoolhouse for my job series in Georgia. I don't want to go back to Georgia, <laughs> but that is an option. Um, that's mm-hmm. the the true dream is I want to go back to teaching. Okay. 
But this secondary, if I can't be a teacher, then I'd rather stay in the realm of military SATCOM or even civilian SATCOM or use my degree and go into um, network administration for um, networks, which broadens my field and opens up a lot more doors so I can actually get out of DOD or government. Um, It just wastes the security clearance. (laughs) Did you know that each year, more than 200,000 service members leave the U.S. military to find new careers? If you, or someone you know, is planning to leave service, our host, Cheryl Cross has taken her 20 years of HR experience and written an essential guidebook for people just like you. It's called, Civilian Mission, the three-year guide for military professionals planning civilian careers, and it's available online at Amazon and other major retailers. Civilian Mission is packed with essential information to help you ease the gap between military service and your next exciting career after the military. Before we get back to the show, we want to say thanks for listening to the podcast. We appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Yeah, don't let go of that. So you also said you're getting your CYSA, so you could go into cyber. Uh, yes, well. that, that is the plan. Um, the, the goal is to keep on uh, learning, to keep on uh, studying and continuing bettering myself. And that's a tenant I got from my grandmother. She was always in school. She's like, you can never stop learning. You always have to keep moving forward and keep on learning something new. And I think that's what they meant with the uh, Security Plus continuing education is if you don't continue to learn about the changing technology field, you'll be obsolete. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to get the next cert. They're teaching Security Plus in like middle school now. It's, it's incredible. I, I want to say thank you so much, Autumn. You've shared a lot. And I know that uh, you were, you're so honest and transparent. I want to thank you for being vulnerable and showing us, you know, what that looks like. Being in limbo kind of sucks. I'm glad you're not getting any shade uh, or being, you know, sent to sit in the corner and fold envelopes or do whatever because, you know, you're leaving. I've heard a lot of people get a lot of shade when they know you're leaving. Um, or a lot of pressure, but maybe after 20 years, they're like, we're done. Bye. Good luck. Come back. Come back as a GS. Come back as a contractor. We'll see you soon. So any last alibis before we round off this segment and say goodbye? Just the, for those that are in a similar path line, it's your journey, your story. So keep on trying for what you want. Don't settle. Just keep going at it. And keep learning, right? Yes, keep learning. Lifelong learner. Well, thank you, Autumn Wheeler. If somebody wants to reach out to you on LinkedIn, can they find you that way? Are you open to sharing your story one-on-one? Uh, yes, I'm available on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty receptive. If I don't immediately respond, it's because I've been at work and I'm in a skiff. So, um, but I will respond sometime during the day, maybe late my time or super, super early. It's whenever I actually see the message, but I will respond. Thanks, Autumn. And sh- spell your name for those folks who aren't watching that are just listening on a podcast. A-U-T-U-M-N or Alpha Uniform Tango Uniform Mike November Wheeler, uh, W-H-E-E-L-E-R. You've been great. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Well, that wraps up things for our soup segment. I'm super excited. We can't find enough people who are going through the active transition phase. So thank you, Autumn, for being with us today. I am Cheryl Cross, and I'm your host, and we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour. And we're back. It is the expert segment of our show. I'm Cheryl Cross. This is the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour. And every hour we bring you one expert. Today, I'm thrilled to have another recruiter in the house. I have my friend, and you probably have seen him on LinkedIn, Richie Lampani. He is a, a I want to say the jack of all trades of recruiting, but he's done it all. He's currently with an independent boutique agency, and he's going to not only introduce himself, but give us some insights on the different types of recruiters that are out there. Hey, Richie, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I've wanted to have you on the show since I first started seeing your funny posts. You have a lot of traction. I know you've been working heavily in the military to civilian career transition community. So it was just an automatic that I have you on. So we want to talk about the different types of recruiting. It's important for people who are thinking about getting out of the military, going into civilian careers, or those who are actively job searching, or those even out who are resetting or pivoting to a better type of career. When somebody asks you, what kind of recruiter are you? How do you explain it? Uh, well, you know, first, firstly, I'm mostly a tech recruiter. So that I always have to get that out of the way because most people are going to just come to me as a recruiter and think I'm going to find them a job, which we all know that from every post on LinkedIn, from every recruiter, we don't find people jobs. We find people for our clients. So I always say I'm tech. So that kind of narrows it down. If you're not in tech, it's really hard for me to work with you unless I have a really specialized order. Other part of the question was what kind of recruiter am I? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> You're a contingency recruiter. We What's are a contingency, contingency agent. You're an agency. Yeah, agency contingent recruiter. So, yeah, we are agency. We are we are all pretty much all contingent right now, um, which just means that we take contracts without getting paid, and we don't get paid until 30 days after you start your job. So we negotiate with the client what that fee is going to be. Most agencies are working between 20 and 30% right now of the first year's salary. It doesn't come out of the candidate, obviously. The, the company pays that, and your salary never changes. So they build it in. A lot of people get worried about that. And like I said, we don't get paid until after you've been there for a while. All of my contracts pay out after 30 days. So, And we haven't had anybody quit yet, so that's good. But uh, now I'm going to jinx myself. But um, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> we do contingency. And we work for government mostly right now, not federal, I just learned. A lot of Air Force bases. We just picked up a bunch of Army bases, I believe. I haven't signed that yet. Uh, we're a lot in the infrastructure networking space. A lot of the people we're placing came out of SATCOM or RF or TRANSCOM, those kinds of things, while they were in the military for those roles. That led us into the kind of the military transition community where I met your friend Marisol, who's helped me mm -hmm. tremendously. I didn't know what a skiff was. A well, six months ago, I didn't know what it was. So she, she defined it for me. Um, I didn't know the difference between clearances, which I did figure out. She also helped with that. So she's been really helpful in my journey into this whole field. 
Well, it's a fascinating one. As a DOD recruiter for six plus years or more, it's closer to 10. I can tell you it's a rich and really fruitful area. Mm -hmm. You've recruited outside of that, which, you know, not everybody wants to continue the mission, Richie. And you're learning this. You're talking Mm -hmm. to people who are coming out of the military and they're like, hey, what do you got? Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on what your clients are asking you to fill, that's what you got. Mm -hmm. But what I love about you is you're also kind of lending your voice and experience as someone who's sat in different recruiting roles Mm -hmm. and and letting them know what to do. So thank you for doing that. So just to reiterate, contingency or agency recruiters are paid a fee on your placement, Mm -hmm. which is different from what a corporate recruiter right, is. Right. So corporate recruiters, and you've done that too. Go ahead and explain what that is. Yeah. So corporate or internal, they're going to be mostly on salary. The commission on placements is going to be lower than ours typically. Um, I haven't seen a lot of internal recruiters that can make a big fee like that on internal placements. I don't know across the board how that goes. Look, we worked with American Express before. I think on their tech roles, they got like $1,000 per placement or something over their what they were supposed to do. If they hit their metrics and beyond, they got a little extra. I've done internal in terms of I have been hired by a startup to build the recruiting department and then recruit for them. No big, no big corporate but I did work corporate. So an agency, there's either boutique or the Robert Halfs and stuff. I've worked all of that and in between. So internal, anything internal I did, I was actually contracted out by an agency to go into the internal role, build the team, and then they pulled me back out. It wasn't very fun because then you don't see results. You're in there for X amount an hour. There's no commission. So you're acting as an internal recruiter and doing all that. And then no one will hire you as an internal recruiter because you didn't come from internal, you came from agencies. There's not a lot of crossover that's successful in this industry that no. I've seen. Um, I know not. it can be done. There are people that have done it. Amy Miller is a really good example of somebody that went from agency to internal and is very good and does a very good job. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we see like internal applies for agency and then they're like, no, this is horrible. Like worse than even coming in blank going from internal to agency, it's a different world, really. It is. It's that a different being pace. Said, a lot of yeah. internal recruiters have to be jack of all trades. Like they're not gonna just work on one role on a smaller mm-hmm. internal. They're gonna work on a lot of different things. Whereas I can oh, yeah. niche in tech and and in government and I can be okay. I can make money. But if I'm internal I've got to do a lot of different things. So Agreed. And that's an excellent point. So as a, so we're trying to teach the listener the difference between, say, what a corporate versus mm-hmm. agency, or they call them desk mm-hmm. or boutique agency contingent recruiters. Corporate are gatekeepers for that mm-hmm. company. They are mm-hmm. ambassadors for that company only. Right. Those recruiters could have up to 40 to 80 requisitions. Mm-hmm. So when you reach out to a corporate recruiter, even if it is a large company, know that their bandwidth may be very specific, oh, yeah. which is why as a corporate recruiter, I wrote a book about timing because I was meeting people well well above and before their availability. Mm -hmm. But what I love about Richie, so what Richie does is something that, and I've done agency work and I, again, I sit in corporate because I'm, that's more my pace, Mm -hmm. but agency recruiters, they're out there representing you. Mm -hmm. So if you have an opportunity to work with someone like a Richie, if 
his clients align with your timing. I mean, it's still sort of like if the moon and the stars all align, mm -hmm. right? Everybody it's not all right now. Oh yeah. 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 Because he's getting contracts too. But what Richie will do is represent you more as an individual. There's a little bit more coaching. I'm, asso I'm assuming. So yeah. let's say Richie, you find a great candidate, a SATCOM candidate who's coming out in four months and their availability, they can work in three, let's say the first day of their terminal leave. So their availability is two months out. How would you take that person if they're not working with any companies, if not applied to any jobs, walk us through how you would work with that SATCOM individual and take it, take the mic. Yeah, if they're two months out, I mean, for me, um, I'm probably going to do a review call with them and go through the resume and make sure. But again, this is a thing where timing has to align too. So two months from now, my role might not even be open anymore. So in all likelihood, I'm going to point them, I'm going to look at the resume, make sure, because a lot of times when military people are transitioning, they're giving you a resume that doesn't read civilian at all. It's, it's someone helped them with it. It's, it's, it's just uh, like a guy like me, I can't. Marisol comes in there too because she's been teaching people how to do that and Skillbridge is also for it too. But if you come out, you have to have a civilian resume too because a lot of the people you're going to apply to, they can't read it. They can't understand it. We get. I have an intelligence guy that sends me this. I don't remember what it's called, but it's wild. The sheet that he sends me, and it's awesome because I understand it now. But if I send it to my client, they'll be like, "What is this? I just want to know what they did." You know. So the first thing I would do is make sure that they had the resume resources that they needed. We might do a discovery call to see if it's an, an alignment if they want to go back on Panama shifts and all this stuff because that's going to come up in those roles. And sometimes people don't want to do that. So um, Panama Shift is like the 24-7 rotating, 365, always open. You're going to switch mm -hmm. shifts every once in a while. Anyway, so we have to explain that, talk to them, make sure they're okay with that. And then when we get into the process, two months out's a little far, probably closer to a month, we would start working with them just because that's what our client's going to need. They're not going to schedule it out that far and start interviewing for two months down the road. So mm -hmm. that's a lot on these contracts for uh especially the air force bases they're not going to talk they're not going to finalize anything unless they're done they have a you know they're going to be closed so during the process we're going to coach through the interview we know the client we know what they're going to expect we know what they're going to want to uh, talk about now we don't cheat so we want you to get the job on your merit so i'm not going to give you the answers but i'm going to practice with you so you can eloquently tell what you've done and how that applies now and then those roles are this the same job you probably had while you're in the military really so those go easier honestly so there's not as much coaching now on my other clients we prep before every interview and we do feedback after every interview and we try to figure out you know where did we make a mistake in there? And if we did, can we correct it before so we can follow up and get the feedback from the client? Say, well, yeah, we talked about that, that there was a little miscommunication there. We'd get the salary lined up right away. We always give salary up front. Um, with transparency laws, there's no point in withholding anymore. Um, I don't know what the point was actually when we used to do it in the first place. Right. Nuts. Like you're going to have a, three interview process with somebody who never discussed salary and then they reject the offer anyway. So, it's um, yeah, I mean, we're really heavily involved in the process. I know internal, it's really hard for you as a recruiter 
to coach someone through the inner, you're not going to, you have to decide based on what they do internally. Yep. You can't say, Oh, when you get to this guy, you want to talk about this and that and the next thing. Cause they really like that. That'd be nuts for you to guarantee everybody a job. And it'd be really unethical to do so Yeah. on our side. We want them to get the job on their own merit because if they get fired in 90 days, I got to pay the money back. Right. So, uh, we want to get hired because of who they are, (laughs) but we also want to remove roadblocks that we know are going to happen. If you maybe don't line up perfectly on whatever tech skill, we want you to be able to explain why that's okay. Not lie about it, but why your experience here will transfer here. So we do that. We've had these where they want to see, we had a field servicing where they wanted the tech test before we had people asking for it. And like, I can't, I can't do that. Cause if you get through it and I help you cheat, I'm burning my client. I'm practicing yeah. very unethical behavior and it's just something I don't do. So that kind of thing we don't help with, but everything else we coach you, coach you offer stage, usually make sure nobody's going to, counter crazy but you never know in this in this uh, market so yeah all the people we put through on our uh on the bases especially they know what it is going into it nobody usually gets into that it's never sticky it's a seven it's a 10-year contract they can pay what they can pay there's not wiggle like in aerospace and there's always some little bit of wiggle not with these contractors it's it is what it is basically every time so do you guys have so those sign-on bonuses i bet uh, not at that one. We have, I mean, on the other government clients, up to 25%, you know, so they'll get and reload. And those jobs, I mean, if we've had some people um, where they offer 25% and then uh, they get another 15 to 20 for clearance bonus if they hold oh, wow. the full scope poly active. Um there's all kinds of stuff on those for, but not for the base contracts. Those are just what they are. So, right. So let's, let's break that down for the listeners. I talk about this in my book, civilian mission and how you can utilize a sign on bonus, but know who you're talking to. So contingency recruiters are dealing with clients with maybe five recs, Mm-hmm. And that's their whole focus. They might work with you a little bit shorter period of time than a corporate recruiter mm-hmm. who is like, well, okay, so you're, you're, you're 90 days out. I need to talk to you in the 30, mm-hmm. you know, 30 day time frame, just like Richie was saying. But the differences between the two, well, in government contracting, it's not because what, what's written into the contract, they're held to it. Mm-hmm. So if, if a huge company versus a, a small prime, a small sub rather, it's the same. They're working off of what they've written in to the staffing mm-hmm. of the contract. So and different contracts could have different parameters in the same skiff. I've had people sitting right next to each other that are from two different generations of a contract mm-hmm. and the payment structure is different. Right. And now, you see the back and forth. So the over promise and then have to come in right there. Cause if they are awarded it, that's what it is. There's no changing it. So yeah, I right. get what you're saying. And this was especially true for people who were overseas mm-hmm. where Hola and Cola were baked into that contract, but wasn't in the new one. So not that the people were left in the, they still had to have housing and cost of living, but I think it was coming out of the big prime contractors 
pockets. So that's the benefit, you know, don't as a candidate. So I think this is pretty confusing as a candidate. I, I want you to always ask for it because if it does, it doesn't hurt to ask, right. you know, is there a sign on bonus? It's a yes or no. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, you're just trying to get, you're trying to get to your salary expectations. Bottom line. I don't care if you're working with a corporate recruiter mm-hmm. or a contingency recruiter or an RPO. So let's talk about RPO. Yeah. I mean, who- this is even new for me. So I've always been, I've always been contingent. Um, unless I'm working contract, that's totally different ballgame. But, um, RPO, they're paying a certain amount to find a certain amount of people. Right. I mean, that's the base of it on now. Now there's fractional and now there's whatever else. And, uh, what's the other one now? Uh, retain search. Well, Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many different models for this. One thing military people should avoid is reverse recruiters because it doesn't work. Tell tell them what that is. Oh, reverse recruiter will charge you up front to find you a job and a client that they don't have. So, um, I've never seen it successful. I did encounter early when I was in uh, college, I was a restaurant manager. So there were reverse recruiters that would find you and place you at a different restaurant and you paid them, Right. I think that's where it comes from. I'm not sure. Now we have people that do reverse recruiting and they'll take anybody and everybody and then they'll charge you eight grand, say, and you pay four of it up front and then four of it out of your first paycheck, right? You're never going to pay the other four because they're not going to find you a job. And if they, if you get a job during that time, it's probably not because of them, in my opinion. So it's another variation of the career coach that doesn't know what they're doing. That's just trying to get money. Those you got to remember too, that we're not regulated. Recruiting is not regulated. So not on anything outside of like discriminatory practices. No one's saying what my fees have to be. No one's saying what my guarantee period has to be. The government's not coming in and make sure that making sure that clients are protected from me submitting candidates or even faking people through the job interview process, the clients regulate us, right? So if I'm sending a bunch of bad people, the client will fire me. I'm done. In reverse recruiting, in these other instances where it's kind of career coaching, there are some good career coaches, but in most of it, it's someone that doesn't have a real certificate, doesn't have a degree, and they're charging people that are looking for a job, but they don't have a, a end result on it. Like there's no guarantee for you. And the government's not going to come in and say, oh, you paid Joe Schmo all this money to find you a job. And they didn't find you a job. There's probably language that says they don't guarantee a job at the end of it. So mm-hmm. that's something that I have seen target that community, transitioning military people, targeting teachers. It's something to really watch out for is is those kinds of snake oil salesmen. And they're all over LinkedIn. I see it every day. So Marisol calls them LinkedIn clowns. <laughs> yeah, I heard all of it. I mean, I know it, it, it's still at the end of the day, you're still applying. The end of the day, it all breaks to you're applying for a job, you're interviewing for a job, and you're accepting or declining the offer for that job. Anything yeah. else the psychology of interviewing great you maybe could get some help on that but there's a resume template for everybody on word i have a free one on my site um a basic resume will get you in for an interview if you have the qualifications needed for that job Mm -hmm. i've never rejected anybody for too long of a resume i've never rejected anybody for being on contract that wants to go full-time 
Um, my clients might need some convincing sometimes for that. Um, and I've never rejected anybody for mental health, parenting, or educational job gaps. If they've been in jail, I'll reject them. I mean, I have to most of the time on that. So Because um, of your contracts. Yeah. Because, because of, of your contracts. I can't. Yeah. I have to do background check. My clients have, you know, if there's something weird on there and it's not explainable, I got a DUI. I was a kid. Those things are okay. But if you go, I've had a guy lie to me all the way through and they had a CSC charge and it makes me look really bad. So, um, yeah, we can't work with, with, uh, felons. We just can't. So, um, and maybe internally you can, but an agency, most of the time it's going to be a no, our clients won't let us. Right. Depending on the contract. So if you're working DOD specific, um, right. those, anybody justice served might get weeded out and it's simply because of the clearance process. Now, um, and I don't want to go in, I'm going to have a clearance expert come and talk about that, Yeah, but yeah. I love We've given, so we've given a lot of good information about the different types of recruiters, the corporate recruiters. Those are the people at job fairs. You're going to meet them at the Hiring Our Heroes job fairs, any of the USO job fairs, anything that it's doing on base. Those employers are going to send their recruiters or their HR people or their company representatives. Sometimes if they're an engineering company, they're engineers. Um, but those folks are paid salary just so you know. And, you know, some of the smaller companies may give bonuses for their metrics, but that has nothing to do with you, the individual. That's mm. their performance overall. Okay, okay. So, um, and then there's the agency folks. So that's why Richie is here. So Mr. Lampani, you are an agency recruiter working in the DOD, which is very specialized. Um, but your roles are whatever your roles are. So it's very similar to what's going on on the corporate side, because you're trying to fill roles for contracts that you have been given. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and once they're filled, they're done. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the big misconception out there for people wanting to continue the mission, wanting to utilize their clearance, continue working with the DOD is that if they get a, an agency or a contingent recruiter or a headhunter, that they will get all of this money, that they're only working for them. And some of that's true, but there, you've probably got a few clients that you're working with and a few candidates too. Because, right, you're not yep. going to make your yearly yeah. salary on one person. Right. right. That's important to note too. We, on average, I would say we submit about three people per opening. When, when the rack opens, when I have a new IP controller, I will find three people. I'm competing against myself, but my client expects that. They want to look at three people for that one role. And if we don't get it that time, we'll go and find three more probably. Um, and that's the way it works. We're not, it's not one person per role. And that's why you should never really work with one agency recruiter at a time or sign anything saying you will only work with them on, you shouldn't work yeah. with more than one on one role. It doesn't work out very well, but um, for each role, that agency recruiter has, they're going to, they're going to submit. And even the, in this market, they're probably going to go up to 10 on it. We don't do that because it's just stupid. Um, but they are submitting multiple people per role. So you should have a couple recruiters in your back pocket that are specialized in what you do. And they understand that most of my people that I submit that don't take my jobs end up being client side candidates or client side clients later. So they're representing the company now. Now I want to work with that company too. So yeah. like I told Good. you, we just, our newest client is from a guy that he didn't go to the final. 
he got another job offer within the space. He works for a company that he was going to go work for a CIA DOD focused company, ended up going to Medicare and in a uh, department of veterans affairs. Now he does, his clearance isn't active anymore. He doesn't need it. But so he didn't want to go back into FBI from NSA or whatever he was at. So he went to the, the non-cleared side. Now he's a client instead of a yeah. candidate. So that works out for me, but he also had obviously other recruiters that were working with him. So it's just, it's just, it is what it is. A lot of recruiters will get mad at you if you don't go through with the final, but I, th- I find that keeping things civil is a lot better way to go than getting mad about stuff like that. I've been oh, doing absolutely. it too long. I know it's going to happen. Oh, it, it always does. You know, somebody you love that breathes through the final and they're like, yeah, I took another job. We get that every day. It's just what it is. If you get mad about it, you're in the wrong industry. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Lampani, you you eat rejection for lunch. Agency recruiters, and I think that's what's so exciting about agency recruiters. You're working, man. You grind. You grind because you have no time. And as a corporate recruiter and an HR lead and people who've hired people like yourself, I I loved throwing things out to, we call throwing requisitions out to the agencies Mm -hmm. because it was like suddenly we had this influx of people that maybe we couldn't find. So sometimes, sometimes you guys, sometimes internally be like, good luck. See you later. (laughs) We've tried everything. We tried everything. <laughs> I had this done. one rack for a deployment engineer, and she told me, she was like, you're not going to find this. I'm like, oh, I'll find it. There's no such thing as a unicorn. No, I can't <laughs> find it. You've already looked everywhere, and there's like four in the country, and they don't want to talk to me. So, yeah, that happens, but it, it is a good way. If I can find something you couldn't find, you're going to give me the easier one usually next time, hopefully. Yeah. Or you're going to keep giving me the really hard ones because I'm good at it. But either way, it's really – I love this job. I hated it when I came into it. But really? it's really rewarding. Oh, yeah, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't believe I took it. Fifty grand a year. I had to drive around half the state of Michigan. I was working on state oh. of Michigan contracts, and they're impossible to deal with um, for mm. tech anyway. And then we just had we had a lot of big clients, but they were really hard clients. And we had one recruiter, me for half the in one recruiter and me doing sales and recruiting for half the state of Michigan. And we did really well. I broke some records. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this forever. And now 12 years later, here I am. And I love what I do. So, Right. Well, hopefully you're not killing yourself. Yeah. No, we just got back from Disney World. We we had a little vacation. So Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, I didn't look at my phone the whole time either. I only posted on LinkedIn once. So I was pretty proud of myself. Good so, for you. Yeah, because yeah. you said yes to this interview. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Richie. I've wanted to talk with you for a while. I'm thrilled that you're here teaching the listeners about the different types of recruiting. And just for those of you listening, it's tough for us too to understand this. I just want to let you know, when I joined recruiting, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't know what an RPO agency was, but I was working for one. So I might work on one contract for a few weeks and then be moved to another contract, but I was only working on those contracts. I was not paid a fee on top of the placements. I was given a salary. So, you know, what was confusing to people was I was coming in with a very different email address, but I was representing a company that was not the same as my email address. So people were always a little hesitant. So I, it was 
every day I was explaining. So I am a company ambassador for XYZ company. They have hired my company, which you see on my email address. And that is, and I'll be working this for the next six weeks. And then I'll move to another company and work on that contract. So they are agnostic in the sense that they're not probably floating you between their contracts. They're representing you to that client because they've been paid either in advance or they're being paid for a certain amount of people. Right. So, and, and again, this is so confusing to the person listening. Mm -hmm. So let me just boil this down. Corporate recruiters, they're your friends too. Everyone's your friend in the space. Just mm -hmm. understand their limits. Corporate recruiters are filling jobs in the next 30, 60, 90 days max. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everyone says, reach out to the recruiters, make friends with the recruiters. Okay. Get in their database get in the system, make sure you're very clear on your separation timeline, go to my website, exchangepodcast.com, throw a banner that's not open to work if you're more than 90 days that shows your separation timeline so they can see it. And then be very clear with them on your availability date, figure that out. Um, so corporate recruiters, then we talked about agency, that's Richie Lampani and his partner, Amy. They are a very small boutique agency working within the DOD on placing people for their contracts. So even though he gets paid a fee on placement, he's working fast to try and get the right people in front of his client. And those have expiration dates too. He tends not to have those evergreen wrecks. Evergreen recs we're going to see at the Amazons, the Home Depots, those companies that have the same type of, and many hundreds of those jobs all the time that are open because there's a lot of movement. So if you're looking as a specialist, a DOD specialist with a high level clearance, chances are everything in your life is going to be with timing, everything. But do talk to both the corporate recruiters and the agency recruiters within that sweet spot of your availability. And I hate to sound like a mom, but I keep telling you when people would reach out to me so early and I would just, I'm sorry, I'd love to make friends with you, but I have 80 requisitions that I have to fill today. Mm -hmm. And keep, you know, let's follow each other in LinkedIn. They're going to be very kind to you, but the timing is just really, mm -hmm. it's, it's tough. We're all yeah, and together. remind people to remind recruiters too when that time comes up. I've had people that I'll watch for a month because I have an open rack. I'll forget about because the rack will fill, but I will get another of the same thing. And yeah. then I look back, and they're they're somewhere. They're already out. So I have a guy right now. He ended up at a really good job, but had he reminded me instead of the three months out, told me when he was going to be out. And then I had that rec open probably two months later again, and I missed it. Yeah. And if he would have hit me up, he would, he'd be making like 60 grand a year more right now because I know where he went and I know what he got paid. Um, so remind that recruiter that you made friends with when you come up close to, especially agency, we have to move so fast that yeah. I have so much competition in this market. I don't have time to wait two months to talk to you. I won't remember. So yeah. make friends, yeah, right away. I talk to almost everybody in the military that hits me up just because we have so much going on. I won't remember two months from now. So if you're getting out and you're ready to be submitted, tell me a week out because then I'll be ready to go. If I didn't already get back to you, I can't keep track of everybody. I have 12 no. recruiters. I think we have eight clients right now, That's two of huge. which have over 40 recs open right now. Oof. So we don't have all of them, but we can work on all of them. We don't, you know, we're not focused in on all of them, but we mm -hmm. can submit to all of them. 
So they might assign them to us, but we can always work everything else that's open in a company that's open to agency. So it's one of those things where I have a lot of stuff. And I always tell people too, if they get rejected and I like them for something else down the road, hit me up every other week and just remind me who you are. Cause I probably get 50 plus DMs a day. I don't, I can't, I know you can search now. I didn't know that before, but I won't remember to look back two months to see who I talked to two months ago. I'm going to start a new search entirely. So yeah. that's the way it is in this world. So and you it's a new crop the of same people. Internally. I don't think anybody's going to be looking for a job two months from now. I just never think that way, even though probably they are in this market, but my brain is go, go, go. I've got 48 mm -hmm. hours to get people in for this. And I'm not going to look back through it. If you're in my ATS, I'll probably find you though. So, right. Yeah. And so to answer your question, I can't speak for all the clients that I've had in the past or the companies I've worked for, but the big, big ones usually have a tracking system within their ATSs. That's applicant tracking system. And what that means is, you know, you're able to interface with that. So you're getting the right newsletters, you're getting the right information from that company. A company does not want to let you go. You know, if you've had an, you know, if you've talked to a recruiter or even a sourcer in the recruiting department, they want to make sure you're still engaging because there's a lot of competition out there, right? So if you're able to put your timeline in and they have something built into their ATS that shows that you're available in a perfect world, we'd talk to everybody at the right time. Everybody would be in their availability date, but this is why we do what we do because there's these challenges. And, you know, I just hope that the, po the folks listening understand a little bit more about recruiting. I will continue to talk about this. I talk about this Wednesday mornings on LinkedIn audio on uh, yeah LinkedIn every Wednesday, 7 a.m. my time. So if you want to join me there or just, you know, reach out to me through LinkedIn and we can have a conversation. Richie's pretty good at this too, even though he's really busy filling his job. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Um, any last alibis before we, we knock off and end this segment? I don't know. It's a tough season. Just keep going. It's it's one of those things where it'll come when it comes, but you have to do the work. So keep going no matter what. Read the read the good, you know, recruiter content on LinkedIn. Stay away from stuff that seems too easy because if it's it is. too easy, it's probably not going to work. Um, but yeah, resume, LinkedIn are the most important tools you have coming out. Use them. Network. That helps everybody, you know. So yeah. That's it, really. Try not to be taken advantage of. That's yeah, the big thing definitely. with all of us, right? Oh, that makes me sick every time I see it, every time I hear about it. I'm doing free resume reviews right now, too. Um, cool. If people hit me up on my LinkedIn, I don't have open availability on my calendar, but if someone really needs help with resume and LinkedIn, I am doing 15-minute free quick calls for the holidays. We killed our career services. We're too busy for it, but I do have a couple weeks where I have some extra time, believe it or not. So I did a eight so far this week they're really really sad calls usually they're not fun it's people that have been out of work or looking for a little bit so if anybody needs help hit me up on linkedin and i'll help out so right on thanks so much richie mm -hmm. happy holidays to you thank you, you so much for being with us and yeah, i'm pleasure. just going to close out this segment by saying uh you're listening to the military to civilian career transition power hour on exchange podcast series this is our expert segment we're going to take a quick break and come back with somebody who's been in the workforce between one and four years we'll be right back well 
Welcome back. We've got our second veteran episode, which is really the third segment of our show. I'm Cheryl Cross. You're listening to the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour, truly the longest name in podcast history. <laughs> and I've got fellow podcaster and friend Sean Welsh. He is the producer, host, and creator of Vet SOS Podcast. Hey, Sean, how are you doing? Great, Cheryl. How are you doing today? I'm good. What an honor to have you here today, sir. I just was talking to you before we hit the record button about your current situation. And I was really worried where to put Sean because in the industry, in our group, you know, our niche group, he's a, he's an expert, right? And I have an expert on every show, but I went to look at his LinkedIn this morning and was like, he's only been out of the military just a few months. He's got 80 some odd shows recorded that he's been putting out for so long, but you're so prolific in the space. And I think we assume that because you are this advocate for all of the folks coming out of the military, that you're the expert, but you have a current situation going on. And I want you to give some light to your transition process, which you also talk about on your show. What's going on with you right now? Well, first, let me say thank you. I don't consider myself an expert at all. Uh, I know you've had people on here that are much better experts than I am, but I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up though as best I can. Uh, so a- as I've said numerous times, I had a wonderful transition. As I went through my transition, we started at SOS. So I was fortunate enough to learn from them as we went. And so I heard all these horror stories, all the things not to do. And so I, I was able to really put a lot of work and have a very positive outcome in my um, transition. So (laughs) everything's going fine. I've retired from the military. I'm working my job, same job I did my uh, skill bridge with. And then I find out about a month ago that the business unit I'm a part of, which was something we were trying to stand up in the company, uh, is not going to be funded next year. So all of a sudden I find myself in a situation where now I got to find a job. Now, the positive thing is they want to keep me. They don't want, they're not firing me. They're just the job specifically that I was hired for is going away. Uh, but I do have to, I'm in that situation where I have to find something else within the company that'll work mm-hmm. for me. How, how has this challenged you, Sean? I mean, again, you're, you're somebody who listens to all these transition stories. You kind of know the lay of the land, which is what we're all trying to do, right? Expose people's stories so that when you're, faced with this, you know what to do because you remember that person that went through that thing. What are you doing because of the Vet SOS podcast or just how are you managing? Are you flying by the seat of your pants? What's going on? A lot of people say I fly by the seat of my pants a lot, but it was actually one of my former guests that had come on the show. They asked me, so why aren't you using your network? Huh? That's that's quite the idea. You know, we, we talk about that all the time. Every so, time. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, you know, one, I never panicked, you know, because one, I knew the company liked me. So they weren't trying to get rid of me. And there's a couple spots that I could potentially go within the company. So I figure everything's going to work out anyway. But I got to thinking after him and I talked and I'm like, OK, so you know, why don't I why don't I put my money where my mouth is, so to speak? And so I drafted this email or not this email, a LinkedIn post. Uh, explaining the situation, what had happened. And uh, I was shocked by the response. It is one of the biggest posts I've ever had. You know, just the the number of people that responded to it, 
reached out, wanted to know if there's anything they could do to help me, uh, which was just, it was heartwarming. I was just flabbergasted by the amount of support that I received in a community that I was already in awe of how much support we received when we transitioned. So I get all this response back and people willing to help me with different things and ask me what type of jobs I'm looking for and, and make me post on my behalf and hooking me up with recruiters. And it was just an amazing experience to go through. So one thing it did was reconfirm the fact that we have to continuously work on our network. You know, a lot of people will build this network on LinkedIn, get a job, and then stop. They're ghosting. Yep. Ghost. Yep. So it, you can't do that. And, and that's one thing that I didn't do, not because I was expecting to ever be looking for a job. I thought I was going to, you know, everything was just working out perfect. But going through, I realized, you know what? This is exactly what we tell people. And this is why. And so far, everything we talk about has been 100% true. Mm-hmm. I reach out to organizations that I did programs with. And they've been willing to help me, you know, brush up on a few things or fix a few things. I've reached out and talked to recruiters, gotten some pointers on potential jobs, you know, and just so all these conversations going on and, and meeting new people, it's just been a phenomenal experience. We have a great community. We really do. And I know it's growing because more people that check into your podcast, my podcast, Lori Norris's podcast, mm-hmm. Lessons Learned for Vets, mm-hmm. they grow and it gets more exposure. So, well, I'm glad you're having a positive experience. You never appeared to me, even though we've just really met, met the first time today. When I've been checking you out or listening to you, I always felt that you were super confident. Sometimes, though, that's a mask, right? Mm-hmm. You said that you weren't, you weren't a little... You weren't up, what's the word? You weren't panicking, but it's concerning, right? Yeah. So when the whole thing happens, you know, at first you're like, wait a minute, I I did everything I was supposed to do. (laughs) You know, I had this perfect transition. I I did, you know, listen to all the advice. I I followed all the rules. I I did this, I did that. And then now I'm, you know, potentially looking for a job. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, so yeah, I wasn't like scared, nervous, depressed, or anything like that. I was I was caught off guard, you know, thinking, well, I didn't think that was gonna happen. But then, like we tell people, take a breath, regroup, mm. and then you you know what to do. I, I did 26 different transition programs. It's very excessive. Yeah. So it was beaten to me what to do. I know what to do. I have the resume, I've done interviews, you know, I've done all these things. I know what to do. So, you know, don't freak out, take a breath and and let's start moving forward and using the things that we've talked about and what we've been taught. So much of that reminds me of a saying my mother used to say, rules for thee, but not for me, is you don't (laughs) want to be in an environment where the rules only apply to some people, not you. Good. It's good that you're having this. And this is what this is about, is the story, the transition, uh, honest transparency, the -hmm. talk. Uh, I had another guest, Eric Dosti also went into Skillbridge program, created a transition Skillbridge program for the company, loved it, and reorganization happened. He didn't have a plan B. He has one now. He has one now. Yeah. And he's preaching about it because this is how we learn, folks. We have to go through. It's a process. And you're going to refine and and redirect. Uh, Transition, I've been told this, Sean, you might have heard this a lot too, is constant. It doesn't end. It doesn't end in any of the segments that I'm putting either the soup or one to four years or five years. It's forever because what the military has given you 
is a structure where people have your six, you can always find a solution. And if not, there's somebody there that will try and bring it to you. And in the outside world, it doesn't seem that that structure just comes with everything. You're missing that group. A woman said to me recently, I live in Michigan. If I'm skating across the lake and I'm with my coworkers and I fall in the ice, I can't tell you that any one of them would know how to pull me out. Wow. But if I was with my platoon, I would go into that icy water knowing that somebody was going to be there in a minute or I, help was on the way. And I thought that's really a telling scenario because she's working in a group where she doesn't feel safe or supported. When people say these stories to you, uh, again, you're the OG in this. You've been having 80 conversations more than I am. I'm only 37 days old as of this podcast uh, recording date. But when somebody comes to you, either as a transitioning expert or you know, you got them on the podcast. What do you say? What do you say to them about the corporate world not really being a community? It's more of a independent. Everybody's out for themselves. What do you say to them? Well, the, the first thing I would say is you hit the nail on the head with the transition piece. It, it's constant. And that's one uh, my co-host actually talks about that numerous times where he hates the word transition because it almost signifies like there's an end to it. And there really isn't. You know, and you can have multiple transitions throughout your life. And and so trying to look at it from that standpoint of what do you do when one of life's changes hits you? You know, that, then what's the case? Now, going to your current question, as far as, you know, what we talk about with people when it comes to the corporate world, I think there's still a tribe to be found there. We're used to a certain type of tribe, right? So it's easy to build an unbreakable bond with somebody when you've gone to a war zone with them, when you've gone through some traumatic experience. With them. Probably, probably not going to go through that in the boardroom, right? You know, hopefully it's nothing major traumatic, but I think you can still build a tribe, but there's still something to be said with that bond. And when it comes to veterans, you can walk into a room and immediately have a connection with another veteran just because you both went through something similar. Maybe different services, you know, may, one may have deployed, one may not have, different jobs, whatever the case may be. But the fact is, you went through that experience. You know what it means to be a veteran. You know what we stand for. You know what a lot of us go through. And you personally may be still struggling with certain things, whether that is PTSD or something else. You still may be struggling with something where, Another veteran just understands and doesn't have to say anything. You can simply sit there and listen, and that's all you need is someone to talk to. Excellent points. It, on the corporate side, there's something called business resource groups. They're called BRGs or employee resource, resource groups, ERGs. And those groups can be for anything. They can be for veterans groups. They can be for PTSD survivors. They can be for African-Americans, Asian-Americans, women, women in IT. I mean, there's, it just depends. And if there isn't one, start one. So go to your HR person. As an HR person talking to you, if you're working in a company that does not have these business resource groups, just put some time on the calendar of the HR or maybe the CEO and say, I'd like to create an informal business resource group. It will only empower us. And I'm telling you, I would be shocked if they said no. You know what, what else is really good about that is we have organizations 
that are dedicated to helping veteran resource groups get started and start the right way. Do you so there's know organizations the that will names? actually help you. I off the top is, of your head. I, I'm quizzing I say Veteran Leadership Council is the name. Don't okay. quote me on that. I have to look it up. I did do an interview with somebody from there in one of my episodes. Uh, and one of the things they're doing is capturing best practices uh, from BRGs and, you know, figuring out, you know, how do we do this? So there's organizations like that out there that will help an organization build a strong, you know, ERG for veterans. Yeah, good. Thank you for that. See, you're full of information, man. You're always teaching, <laughs> always teaching, getting Sean to tell his own story. Though You said that you posted this um, and it got incredible amount of support. You were kind of blown away. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all because you are a bit of a legend on LinkedIn. Oh my <laughs> aside from LinkedIn, I mean, these are the folks that are listening. They may be in your shoes. Maybe they've been out for a minute. They are looking for new things. Let's say someone comes to you and says, Sean, I want you to mentor me. I, I really don't like what I'm doing. I'm my first year in. It's really not serving me. What advice would you give them? Put on your transition hat for me and tell me what you would say to them. So first and foremost, uh, Veteran Leadership Council, I think, is the name of it, the organization. One of the things they do is help organizations uh, with standing up uh, veteran research groups. The first thing I do when people ask for my help is ask them if they've, first of all, what, what have they done? Right? I need to know what you've done. There's 40,000 plus organizations out there. What have you done? Surprisingly, a lot of them tell you nothing. Um which is really surprising, especially the closer they get to actually getting out of the military. Um, but one of the next thing is usually have you checked out Veterati. I'm a big fan of Veterati. Uh, some, you know, my co-host convinced me to get on Veterati. I, I didn't feel that you know I was the guy who had to be on Veterati, but I've had a couple of calls. They've been awesome. Uh, really enjoy talking to, to people who, who just you know want to bounce ideas off him and, you know, ask for some advice or what they could possibly try and, and sharing information. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And that's one, one, I always push people to better out. When I was transitioning, I was doing five calls a week. Uh, you know, I was doing one every day. Uh, wow. You know, and it's one, it helped me whittle down what I didn't want to do. If it's something I knew I had the skills to do, I'd find somebody in that field, call them. And then, you know, I learned very early that I was never going to do a PMP. <laughs> it was one of those things, you know, but Veterati helped me do that. Mm -hmm. And so going through and figuring out what they've done. And then I have a, a couple that I like to recommend, you know, ones that I did that I really enjoyed and really found valuable. And so I recommend those, but I also tell them in the same breath, don't just take my word for it. Talk to other people, get at least two recommendations. Because I may have done one program and loved it. You may have done the same program and hated it. You know, so trying to figure out, you know, is it the right one for me? And that's really what you got to try to figure out. You're so right. As much as this is boilerplate and we feel like sometimes we're saying the same thing over and over. The one thing I have to remind myself is no two transitions are alike at all, which is why I want to bring a hundred different voices to bring people's awareness that, yeah, I mean, yeah, you stand in TAPS class, you could be a TAP leader, you could be an ETAPS leader, you can talk until you're blue, you don't even have to look at the workbook after a while, because you just know it. But it's not going to apply to everybody, especially in that sequence. So thanks for bringing that up. You brought something else up, coach. Uh -oh. All coaches need coaches. 
And I can't remember what famous coach said that, but I used to have it on my wall that I don't care how smart you think you are or how, you know, if you have the winning team, you still need John Wooden quote to me. UCLA. Yeah. John Wooden. He was my favorite. Yeah. The pyramid. I had the pyramid on my uh, desk office for a long, long time. And, but coaches have coaches too. You may not see it, but everybody has a mentor. Robert Robert Hamilton Owens said the same thing during, I did a feature with him, an hour long feature. And he said the same thing, you know, I'm constantly getting support. And he was a minister of 3000 people. He's a world-class endurance athlete. He just rode 3000 miles across the Atlantic. He's the original Ironman. Like you'd think the guy is like set, but no, he's constantly reaching out for mentorship. So I, I like that some of the themes that we're talking about is if it doesn't exist, make it, right? Reach out to the Veteran Leadership Council or groups like that that can support you and maybe be the liaison for your company. Also, coaches have coaches. And even if you know the information, know that life is going to throw you a curveball. <laughs> And I hope this isn't the last curveball that you get because I just, you're so friendly and you're so helpful. So tell us about your podcast because I've been rushing through this, all this story. So you can tell a little bit more about the podcast. You're 80 episodes in, you've got a hundred and some odd booked for the next of this time that we're talking um, up into the future. So tell us about it. I love telling this story. Most people just I don't, I don't know why they think I started a podcast, but truth be told, I never wanted to. Like, it was not on my radar at all. It was not something that I was, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. Uh, my original co-host, uh, Mark, who stayed on for the first year, he, he was an uh, Air Force veteran and, and helped us get started and, and everything. He came on board specifically to help me get started. His uh, partner, uh, Trevor, uh, w- with their organization, he's the one who kept selling me on, hey, you need to start a podcast. And so... Uh, he was sort of the driving force behind actually doing this. And so Mark and I started doing, started planning, started talking. And finally Trevor's like, just record already. You got to <laughs> so, start. Yeah, you got to so, start. But finally we, we picked a day and all right, let's record. And uh, so we started and it took us about three months to get a couple in the bank so that we weren't like freaking out every, every uh, week to have an episode. Yeah. Uh, but we started right from the beginning where we do four to five episodes in one day. And that way we had them for the month. Yeah. And um, I was amazed by the number of people that wanted to come on, not knowing really anything about me or Mark, you know, cause Mark wasn't in the transition community. He was in Texas doing his own thing, financial planner. And, you know, so nobody that we brought on really knew him either. And, and so all these people that I talked to, you know, people like the Bruce Thompsons, I called him multiple times on Better Ride. He was one of my early guests and he comes on there and he's fully supportive of me, even though, you know, really had no idea who I was other than a couple of conversations, uh, but he was willing to support. And so, you know, we had all these people on and then people start recommending other people and then it just kept going. And uh, so the one year mark, uh, Mark decided he was going to step down at that point. He's still with us. He, he's behind the scenes now. And uh, Eric Brew joined us as the co-host for season two. Uh, the season finale um, aired in December. So, you know, by the time this thing airs, we're starting season three. And, uh, you know, Eric jokes that he, he stayed on a whole season. And, you know, I just let him know that he has one of those Texas A&M contracts. And I can't oh. afford to buy him out. 
You're so TV. You're talking in seasons. Like, oh, this is so fun. Seasons. That that was Eric's idea. I I was not originally going to do seasons. Uh, So don't freak out when you look. And season one is 52 episodes and season two and three are 25. (laughs) Well, you know, when you're publishing weekly, it's easy to go. I launched with four. I've got eight. I'm only 32, 35 days old. So, yeah. That's I'm I'm ahead of the curve if we were just going to do one, but I started with a few, so it, and you know I could take a year off or who knows what you know who knows what's going to happen. Seasons, I love that you're doing that. So season two, season three, uh, how has the podcast changed you? Well, like I said earlier, it made my transition amazing. Like I really can't complain at all about the whole transition process. Uh, I met great people. They shared wonderful stories with me. A lot of them tragic stories, but taught me what not to do. Um, And and I've met some amazing people. And and so going through this and, and, you know, getting to share the the screen with them and learn their story and find out what they went through and what they're doing to help our community has been even better. And then, you know, as we continue to grow it, build a following, the fact that we're not changing who we are. We're focused on the transition space. That is the niche that we want to stay in. And we want to educate. That's our goal is to educate the people coming behind us about all these organizations that we're not told about. You Mm -hmm. know, here in season two, we were able to interview a couple of local agencies, you know, that are, you know, either local to a specific town or uh, we did season uh, three, episode one is going to be InVets. It's all Indiana you know, which is fantastic. We got a Kentucky organization coming on. Um, so we've gotten, we, we were able to talk to the director of retirement services for the army. I mean, that was phenomenal here, here straight from the man, you know, it's uh, one of those things where people were willing to come on and talk to us. And I'm just like, you know, this guy's in charge of army retirement and I'm still not retired. I'm still on active duty at the time. So <laughs> maybe he'll answer some questions. Yeah. You know, we had yeah. the director of uh, Soldier for Life come on, you know, so it's just yeah. been a blessing. And um, it, it's it's just been a lot of fun. It, it really has, because, you know, I didn't necessarily get out wanting to find my tribe. But the more I, I hear that, the more I think about it, I kind of never lost my tribe because I interview them. Once a week, you know, once a week, I'm talking to somebody that can relate to me and what I did, and, and we can talk about things. Um, so it, it's kind of cool, you know, <laughs> so and, and you know, kind of a fanboy at times, too. I've caught myself where, like, there's if you watch closely, there's some interviews where, like, I'm not there. I'm, like, paying attention. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I realize, oh, I should probably ask a question. <laughs> I, sh- I need to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you I- get caught up. I fangirled out a few times too. Uh, I get it. Yeah, it's really neat to have a platform, not only to share. And I noticed you did this on one of your recent posts because someone that had been on my show uh, actually posted. You were like, hey, who do we need to know about? And I thought, that is so cool. You are really pushing more and more connection by doing that. Who are the... Who are the underserved folks? Who are those agencies maybe that have worked for you that we can put on our list? Let's let's stand together. I always say this. We're all standing on a rooftop. We're holding hands so we don't fall off, but we're all screaming from the rooftop. There's so many places that want to help, right? But is help great if it's not coordinated for the right time of your transition? 
the right agency for what you need? Is are they asking you for money? You know, if it's money you want to spend, great. But if it's not something that, you know, you feel like maybe somebody was taken advantage of, you're going to hear that. So it's, you know, everything has a time and a place during your transition. And here I'm a proponent of three years out that gives it even more runway to be more confusing, right? So right. people, people like Sean and Eric and even Mark when he was on the show, all those that you listen to and the beauty of podcasts, you can listen to them anytime. You can listen to them in the going on the treadmill, taking the kids to school, you know, driving to and from wherever you have to be. They're anywhere and they're always there and they're timeless. So this information, you know, transition hasn't changed a whole lot in the last, I was just joking with Sean, that the person that was sitting on a panel recently with me probably didn't even have a TAPS class. But aside from that, <laughs> you know, like they're in a TAPS class and they're sitting in front of a bunch of people and they didn't even have the same process. They've completely forgotten about their transition. But the more options you have sometimes makes it a little bit more uh, confusing. So for those folks who are looking at this litany of information out there, uh, it's easy to get overwhelmed. What do you say to them? Well, I usually have a couple, like I said, that I, I recommend. Ones that I did that I absolutely loved. And then I also recommend a few of the bigger networking ones. Um, you're going to meet a lot of people. You're going to get a lot of information. The, the biggest thing, it, Alfredo Torres was one of my early guests. He came on and said that transition's like a buffet. It's like the best description I can think of for transition. You know, you literally walk into a, a buffet and, and you pick what you want. Now, part of that is you got to do a little research. You got to figure out, you know, what you need, what you want, you know, find those organizations that work best for you. And that's what we hopefully deliver through the podcast where they get a little bit of the personal feel before we get into what they're doing. So you can say, hey, you know, I connect with this person. Mm -hmm. You know, let me check out their organization. Uh, but it, really, it just comes down to figuring out those key things, you know, like for my, my family, our first thing was decide where we wanted to live. Once we decide where we wanted to live, then we could focus on school districts, jobs, houses, all that stuff. So then I could focus my efforts. I knew all my job search stuff was going to happen in one area. Yeah. And, and then from there, I had the big job. And it took me probably six months to whittle down. What, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? Because yeah, there's thousands of things we could technically do coming out, especially retiring. You go to all these schools and everything. So. Uh, really, I, I, I try to encourage people to take as much time as they can. The earlier you can start, the better. And, and really put in the work, you know, do the research, figuring out the different things that apply to you and then find those organizations that are going to serve your needs. You don't need to do 26 of them. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. It really, you know, it's it sounds so simple. And we're trying not to oversimplify something that is truly like a buffet. But knowing what you want, as a corporate recruiter, I always knew when I was speaking to somebody who had done their homework, there's a saying in the endurance world that I learned, you can see discipline. You can mm -hmm. see it in their body. You can also feel it as a recruiter. People who know what they want, they come across with a different level of confidence. So when right. you go into a salary conversation, which is usually the most important part, right, or location or job description or whatever, they know what they want. They've done the homework and they're not inflexible. 
to the point, but they're also not going to be taken advantage of. And that is not something that you round the bend. It's challenging. And this is why I think there's so many people like us coming from so many different walks of life, from TAPS, from career services, from resume writers to corporate recruiters to, uh, we were talking about Jay Salters, who's not even retired yet. He's wanting to put a thousand people in tech jobs. I mean, he's on his way, but you know, we all have a different impetus, but we're all speaking to you and hopefully this will fill the pie that you're trying to fill uh, the section. So thank you, Sean. Thanks for letting me fangirl out over you. Oh my goodness. I told Sean earlier, I made his face red. I said, you were on my list. (laughs) And uh, when somebody put my name on your, who do we know? I was like, Ooh, (laughs) it's like, it's like you write a fan letter to somebody and they they respond with a headshot. No, I'm joking. Uh, I didn't get a headshot of Sean, but if you do want to check out his podcast, it's Vet SOS. Tell me how we can get. So a lot of people are listening, as you know. Spell out how they can find the website. All right, so it's very simple. Just vetsospodcast.com. Easy. No okay. no periods in there other than the dot com. And the exciting thing that he shared with me that I want to support is that he's looking for corporate sponsors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we we officially became an LLC this year. And our goal is, one, uh, to uh, pay some employees. We're we're trying to focus on the military spouse community to help, you know, continue to help our community any way we can. And then also, we want to give back. We want to give at least 50% of the profits that the podcast can make back to the 501Cs that we're interviewing on the show. Uh, that, that's really what it comes down to for us. We, we want to find ways to continue to give back and keep this community strong. Uh, so uh, if we can find the right sponsors, great. We'll, 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 we'll talk about it. We'll run with it. And then we'll do what we can to make this keep this community great. Not make it great. Keep it great. I love it. And all the folks that are listening to exchangepodcast.com or the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour, head over to vetsospodcast.com and check them out as well. We can, we're all here to help one another. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm going to close this segment up because we've talked beyond our 15 minutes, shocker, and uh, we'll probably do a little bit of editing, but not much because everything you said was really, really valuable. Thank you so much for being my guest and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me on, Cheryl. This has been a blast and and I can't wait to see, you know, now that you're coming into the community, how many more people we can reach. This is going to be great. I'm only going to reach 100 and then I'm going to do something else. So, man, the onus is on you. We'll we'll definitely, we're going to be in touch. I'm going to close out by just saying thanks to Sean and letting you know that next is going to be somebody who has been out in the civilian workplace at least five years. So we're going to get a whole other perspective, but we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello again. We're ending up our hour, power hour, which is about an hour and a half probably at this point, because, you know, these folks are really important. And the 100 voices of transition are just growing and growing. I had an opportunity to learn about this woman who is an outspoken advocate, not only for veterans' rights, but policy. She's a former U.S. Air Force enlisted person. She's been out more than five years, but that doesn't matter. She's still working in the space. And her transition story 
it's been told. We're going to tell a little bit more of it again, but we're also going to give her a chance to talk more about what's important to her and what she's seeing in the space that can help you. Please welcome Karen Sendra. Hi, Karen. How are you doing today? Hi, Cheryl. I'm doing pretty good. It's really a pleasure to have you. You know, we talked, I, I had to hit the record button because we were going off on these tangents before we hit the record button about what's important to the two of us. One of the things that I really like about you that I said in the introduction is you are a strong female post 9-11 veteran and you have a very distinct voice, which I think is missing from these dialogues. So for the listeners listening, how did you, were you always this outspoken? Or is that something that has been developed over the past several years? Right. Good question. So I would say life experiences definitely contributed to me having to have a strong voice. So I'll just kind of go back a little bit. Coming from a military family, my dad was Vietnam. My grandmother was a Marine. That's a big deal right there. Grandfather Army, Uncle Navy, blah, blah, blah. So I've had quite a few patriots in the family. So I enlisted after 9-11, obviously had the calling. And, you know, the military, as you mentioned earlier, it's a male dominant organization. It's primarily men and it's very masculine in its, in its structure. So having to deal with that, there's two ways you can go as a female. You can either be submissive and blend in and just get along for the sake of getting along. Or you can choose to step up and not let that separate you from the pack. And if you have an opinion or you have, you know, a sense of direction that you like to share, not back down just because you're surrounded by 30 men. Maybe you're the only female in the room. So I've had to learn. I've, I've been thrown in um, highly visible positions in the military where I've had three and four star generals around me and high executive individuals where you have to be very pronounced in your disposition or you'll get run over. So the military really set me up for being a strong female, but it came from the family. Having a strong female grandmother, military background, family, that, that really prefaced it. And I think today, not to go on a tangent, a lot of the families are missing that kind of backbone of being patriotic, respecting the flag, and being brought up that way. So to fast forward, I've been in a lot of challenging positions within the workplace post-service. I've had challenging dynamics with leadership. And what I've learned is every time, and this is kind of retrospect, I've looked back at having a conversation where I was in a leadership position. However, when I spoke up or I chose to bring in some, some data points for the organization to consider, I always seem to conveniently be let go not too long after that. And I've noticed that parfuffle has repeated in multiple situations. And there's never been derogatory language from me. I've never acted unethically. It's just the fact that I dared to deem to have a thought that may have been a bit, a, may have been a bit out of the box. That just kind of throws people into a carfuffle and usually ends with me having to look for a different job. So that wasn't something that I was expecting post-service. I really thought there was going to be a lot more supportive veteran-friendly organizations that looked for that strong female, that looked for that leadership dynamic and that discernment. But the truth of the matter, Cheryl, is a lot of people don't want that. They may say they want that type of person in the organization, but they don't want that. That's kind of been the, the my journey so far with having that strong voice and putting it out there. I ended up getting onto LinkedIn begrudgingly because I'm not a big social media person. Actually, I don't have all these platforms. And a lot of people say, I don't know why you don't have all these platforms because I'm fairly conservative. I think that's why I chose to stay off the Facebook and Twitter and all of that. I just didn't want to be exposed to the world that way. But LinkedIn 
was like my safe place because when I came on to LinkedIn, I was like, I'm going to do this for the military vets. That's why I'm on here. So I felt more focused and less exposed. But then I started noticing that I was sharing my perspectives, stories, experiences, all in real time, meaning these mm-hmm. aren't stories that I heard from other people. These were things that I was going through. And it was resonating with an audience and it was touching untapped conversations that I didn't see anywhere else, not in this perspective. And so that's kind of how the voice grew um, throughout the years. And I'd say most people that I am connected to through LinkedIn, that's what they know me for. It's this candor. It's this, this is what it's really like as a post 9-11 vet, let alone female strong leader vet, as you said, with a strong voice. And these are some of the things that I've had to experience. Um, And so that's kind of how it's been for me up to this point. Well, I was very attracted to your voice. And as a strong woman myself, you know, we all have different styles. And this is for men, too. You know, one of the things that we're talking about on this podcast is how how might you keep your identity as you transition into this incredibly difficult, weird, fungible, organic environment? You're losing your tribe. You're losing people who will literally die before you. And then going into these social uh, company constructs that you it's you don't know who to trust. So I I salute you for being outspoken, and we you know you'll see all the memes and you'll see this in corporate ethics and core values. You know, be yourself, be who you are. But sometimes that doesn't work. And I I remember having a conversation with a corporate executive who was quite aggressive, former Marine, and I said, you know, I really love it when you say some stuff in in meetings. He's like. I've been told to walk that back my entire career. So how might we motivate people, Karen, to find their space? I mean, you found your space. You're a successful writer. You're on, I see your videos. You're on every podcast. Now you're on mine. So how might we encourage people to really advocate for themselves and and keep that voice? I mean, do you have the answer? Is there an answer? Well, it's certainly a journey. Um, and I think that the, the path that I took was very unorthodox. When I got out of the service, it was fast. I don't even remember my TAPS exit. I don't remember any supportive services that I got. I just remember being a civilian and quickly going back into contracting because I needed work. I didn't have all this fluff and accoutrements that today's vets have. To me, they're almost overly saturated with information. I would probably say maybe I prefer the fact that I did get out stone cold that I wasn't inundated with all of this information and all of these experts and subject matter experts and everybody knows best people. I find those to be challenging because that information seems to be shoved down the throats of the transitioning vets. And I think it just confuses them. So all of these veteran service organizations that you see and these, um, you know, they're, they're there ideally to help with the transition. I mean, I hate to go against the grain and say, but perhaps finding your own path and shutting out all the noise might be a good place to start because it kind of is insulting if you think about it. It's kind of like you're highly successful in the military. You're able to be adaptable and overcome and resilient. You have all these great skills on one side, which is the corporate promotion piece. But then they basically treat you like a child when you get out. Like, but you know nothing. You need us. You must go through our 12-week workshop. You must look at all of our resume formats. You must come to me for advice. You must have a mentor. All of these things just seem so cloak and dagger to me because I really find that that's essentially how vets lose themselves. I don't think they find themselves in that process. And that goes against what everybody's promoting. 
Um, you know, the truth of the journey or the journey in the exterior world, it really is an internal job. And I'm not saying don't connect with people. I just say mm-hmm. be very and don't let all the accoutrements of them being experts. And you see these highly successful names in the LinkedIn tags, you know, your CEO and entrepreneur. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have no idea what they went through to get to that point. And unless that person went through some genuine hardships and struggles and had a pretty tumultuous transition, I don't know how insightful they're going to be for the individuals that are getting out today's market. Because it's not all sunshine and rainbows in the veteran space. And uh, clearly you can see the amount of open to work banners on LinkedIn, the turnover that's extremely high. There's a lot going on here and it's not really getting addressed. So I think, again, certainly if you feel called to a certain group or person, go for it. But be very discerning with how much information you really feel you need. And don't ever let people on the outside assume they know more than you. They don't know you. I see this a lot and I hear this a lot. So occasionally I'll talk to someone. uh, I just spoke to somebody last night in Germany and we were communicating through IM on LinkedIn and he thought that the conversation that he was having with an employer was an offer and he kind of built his life around it. And I, it's like, this is common and a very hopeful conversation does get you excited, but until you see the offer, it's not an offer An offer. And, and by the way, folks, those of you who are listening, if somebody says, I'd like to offer you a job for $80,000 in, you know, on the moon, that's an offer. That is a legally binding verbal offer. So recruiters will be kind of pull back. They'll hold a little close. Well, we're very interested in you and we'll let you know they really loved you. We'll be in touch is not an offer. It's exciting, but they're going to say that. So be mindful of that. You brought up, I I can talk to you for an hour, Karen. Um, You brought up some really good points and I really want to hone in on, you know, finding their voice. What I see another thing is people are like, take, just take care of this for me. I've, I've not planned. I don't know what I want. I've not gone inside. You say, go inside. They haven't done the prep work. So they come out and this is why the numbers for people leaving their first job within the first year are in the 70 percentile. As a workforce development councilwoman, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. That number has not shifted for 20 years, more than two or 3%. And it won't. And it's people are like, Cheryl, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Yes, I am. But I see that as a problem as an HR consultant working for companies. You spend a lot of money trying to get somebody and they leave within a year what is it? Is it you or them? I mean, I'm here to fix shit, excuse my language, and this isn't working. Nobody can figure out the why. So go more into detail on that. When they go inside and figure out what it is they want, I want you to really unpack that more. I mean, you know, we can go into this, the self-awareness, emotional intelligence piece, which is very different with every person. So depending on where they're at with their inner journey, their experience is going to be based off of that. So what I've seen is a lot of folks when they're, you know, and let me just give a little background. In my situation, I had an honorable medical discharge that went just like that, in, out, gone. I wasn't expecting it. There was nothing wrong with me that I knew of. So all these people that have these two years to plan when they're getting ready to retire and these ridiculous, this ridiculous amount of time, I'm going, I think I had two months and I, you know, I went right back into work. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me. But all these people that when they're in active duty and they're trying to plan what it's going to be like on the other side of the fence when they're not out, 
to me, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Now, I don't mean don't do your basic financial preparation, get your house in order the best you can. I think if you can try to have as much of a nest egg, that's the best plan. But ideally to jump ship from, and this is more of the career vets, not so much like someone like me that wasn't in super long, right. but someone that's been in, you know, 10 plus years, and then they jump ship from that life right to a position. If it's not almost exactly the same line of work, why not give yourself time? You need time to just not be in the military at all. You really need some time. Most vets aren't wired that way. And I get that. They're like, nope, stability. I need a paycheck. I don't have time. I have to line a job up. I see all these vets talking about, you know, I'm six months out and I don't have a job. I'm like, that's actually not a big deal. <laughs> you know how long I've been unemployed in between jobs? And I, I look at these vets, too, with some of their unrealistic ex expectations of how fast they should find a job when they get out of the service. I'm thinking, who's telling you this? Where yeah. do you get such high bar that you should have this amazing job, this six-figure salary or what have you, you know, within three months from getting out of the service? I don't know how realistic that is. And I don't know who's setting the bar. I don't know if it's the vets or if it's their advice that they're getting from their, you know, their community or transition space. But I would say, if possible, don't jump right into a job when you get out. Try not to do that, actually. Just be. Get out of the uniform. Go see what it's like to just communicate with the regular folks. And I'll, I'll even say something like this, which I've done even later in my years. I've taken internships just because I wanted to see what it was like working in those organizations without committing. And I think that's something vets should consider is some type of opportunity, if they can financially, go see what it's like without signing their life away and assuming it's going to be this great, wonderful opportunity. I think there's a definite story being told where you got to take all these steps. And I know I've seen people pass this stuff around, you know, your resource checklist. I'm thinking, I didn't even have that when I got out. I didn't have a checklist. I just had to go live my life. So I just don't know if all these cookie cutter strategies are hindering, you know, the vets from having that actual awakening and in their inner self and seeing what it is that they're actually about without all the rules and regulations. Because the civilian world outside of the government space isn't like that. You're going to find yourself in a very different type of culture than what you just came out of. So why not give yourself time to really just see what life is like before you jump in and commit? So the structured way to approach getting out of the service, I think it's a little bit too much. And I don't necessarily think that that behooves people. And statistically, I mean, obviously, I love to know more about that because I've done some writing in that space as well of what those opportunities look like and the turnover when individuals get out and they, how quickly they, they jump out. Were these some of the individuals that were so eager to sign away to that job? Did they take time, you know, six months, even a year? I know when I got out of the service, I didn't work for a year before I took my first job. And that was actually a conscious choice. I wasn't in a hurry and I just needed to breathe and just recalibrate. Yeah. So I think there's just other ways to look at the approach. And I think the rigid way to check boxes, I think might be a little too old school. And it might be hindering veterans from actually having more of an experience in the now and seeing what it's like just to breathe as a civilian. I've created SkillBridge programs. I've enhanced existing SkillBridge programs for companies. And the one thing I've seen over and over is these folks who are coming in, I don't care if they were NCO, commissioned, enlisted, wherever. And they're like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. 
What's next? What? How do I do that? Well, aside from walking you to the bathroom and giving you a key to get into the room, <laughs> it's pretty open. You're going to have to start asking questions and it's not what, what can I do for what's next? Where's, where's the SOP on this? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I'm not putting them down, but it's truly, you're coming from this very structured, predictive career environment. And mm-hmm. you're going to be walking into, and I've heard people say this, they're terrified. I'm going into the abyss. I'm jumping off a cliff. And again, I try and I try and be a problem solver. This podcast is trying to solve problems by offering stories exactly like yours, but I don't have a solution. Yeah. Again, the only thing I can say to that is, you know, and like I said, we're all wired very differently. And depending on what we did in the service, you know, some were more in the order taker position, some more were think on their feet, use your own discernment. So it really depends on what you did. So I can certainly see that side. Um, but I don't think it benefits you to just be so reliant on things outside of yourself to know who you are. I just don't. And that's why, to me, the flood of workshops and all these resources, I just feel like it's too much. And you're not really allowing the vets to figure themselves out. And the only way, and I hate to say it this way, because some vets are going to have a reaction, is to just get out there and experience the workforce. You're just going to have to sink. You're going to have to go into bad, toxic work environments get under some horrible leadership, realize you absolutely loathe being in a cubicle and you'll never take a cubicle job again. You just have to get in there. I don't think all this preparation that all these people white knuckle their paper list and their checklist, I just don't think it's realistic and I don't think it's healthy. Especially if you're if you're navigating out of matters of national security and you're no longer in charge of securing the nukes, let's just say, do you really need to be that rigid in your transition? I think you need to loosen the grips a little and let life take you a bit. And I know that will scare people because that requires trust. And again, it's a journey. You have to get to that point. And I really encourage folks, the best bit I can give is don't jump into a job right out of service and think that you conquered your transition because you're successful now. And I see this story time and time again. They're so excited. They're so excited. All these, I can't wait to get out. And then it's within six months, I'm seeing the open to work. I'm like, yeah, you didn't give yourself a chance to calibrate. You can't calibrate if you're always on the go. If anyone knows that, it's vets, in particular combat vets and high adrenaline vets. You can't always be on the go. You have to have time to disconnect. And I think that disconnect is the scariest place for vets because that's going to force you to have to just know yourself, be with yourself, be with your own thoughts, good, bad, and different, dark or light. You're just going to have to sit in that. And that's when the PTS and other things can come to surface, but don't you want to acknowledge that sooner than later and stop burying yourself in work, which a lot of people do, in particular military vets. They just love to bury their problems by being busy. It's not healthy and it's always going to come out. It's going to come out in a work environment. It's going to come out through your conversations with people. It's going to come out through your home and your home environment, how that's going, or you're just going to find yourself brewing and being miserable. And I just don't think there's enough time to just disconnect. Everything is so scheduled and pointed when you get out of the service from all these resources. I'm just like, I would have never found my voice if I sat in those rooms and went through those workshops. I don't think I would have. I had to live my life and just get out there. So I don't want you to stop talking. (laughs) 
I just gotta, if I say something, you're gonna stop. I just want you to keep going. I love, I love this. Thank you so much. I'm, we're recording this on a Saturday and, um, on, this is supposed to stay timeless, but it's right before Christmas. And I know everyone's really super busy and Karen, you are super busy and you're looking at new avenues and really expanding your voice to new places. So I'm honored that you shared this time with me today, especially during this time. Um, I'm here to advocate for you. And I believe many people, not just women, but men too, are going to want to reach out to you because you are so incredibly grounded and authentic. How might someone find you? Is it through your writing? Is it through a website, LinkedIn? How do we get in touch with you? So I would say for the most part, my base when it comes to vets in particular is LinkedIn. Um, so they can find me fairly, fairly easily. You just look me up. My name's very unique. So there's no one else that has my name. So you can just find me that way. Spell it. Spell it for them. My first name, it's pronounced Karen, but spelled C-A-R-I-N. And my last name is Sendra, S-E-N-D-R-A. So Thanks, Karen. Yeah. And you're definitely not a Karen, as everyone's pointing <laughs> fingers, because she spells it different. No, right. you're not. You know, zero complaints. You know, don't, don't talk about it. Do it. I love it. I love your mentality. And I wish more people had it. You bring something up and I'm going to end with this and then I'll ask for your last alibi. I just interviewed Robert Hamilton Owens and he's a minister and a 70 year old, 72 year old endurance athlete. I did an hour long feature with him. He was called to action. A friend of his Navy SEAL committed suicide very suddenly. Nobody saw it. They were all working on veteran support through SEAL Fit and other projects through the Courage Foundation, which is owned by a, a very famous Navy SEAL, Mark Devine, and it just rocked them. You know, how did, how did this person slip through? So knowing self, and this is what Robert Hamilton said, Robert Hamilton Owen said, you know, you got to go in, you got to figure this out. And one of the things he said to me, Karen, was hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's different levels of pain. I was talking to him about his row across the Atlantic, 3,000 miles. But when he started talking about internal pain, it's like, oh, we're not talking about a documentary anymore. Hurt people hurt people. So keep that in mind. Right. All right. You're awesome. Last alibi from you. And then we'll, we'll shut down the segment and go to the end of the show. Yeah, I don't really have too much more to add. Um, like I said, I've been on LinkedIn for a while. I've got quite a quite a bit of content out there. It's not meant to promote me in any kind of way. It's always meant to be that voice, that alternate perspective. And I've had quite a few folks over the years send me private messages talking about the very things that they didn't feel comfortable documenting in public. And that just lets you know that there's a lot of roots to a lot of these topics that aren't so common where vets need a bit of an outlet. You know, TAPS is not a one-stop shop to your life. If you want to get to know yourself, you're going to have to be with yourself. And the best way to engage with what your truth is to stop listening to everybody else, unless you're really feeling called, you know, or there's a, an intrinsic desire to learn more. I think that don't be fooled by all these titles and subject matter experts that are beating the drum. I think it can mentally exhaust you. And ultimately, again, I conclude if you possibly can, and I know it's uncomfortable, just choose, do all the best that you can to prepare to get out financially, because I think that's significant. But then just maybe don't necessarily have a job lined up. And I don't think too many people are going to say that one. I don't think going from A to B just like that is your best idea. Just be for a while. B 
be with your family, be with your dog, go out there in the public and just see what it's like to just be you, then maybe start getting into the job placement. Find yourself, find your sense of purpose, redefine, redirect. Those are great messages. Thank you, Karen. All right. My name is Cheryl Cross. I really appreciate you listening to this incredible woman, a strong voice. Do reach out to her on LinkedIn. We're going to close up this segment because we've probably gone well past an hour and I call this the power hour. So stick around. We'll have a little end segment after this short break. I can't believe it's been 10 episodes. You're sitting with number 10, and I have brought you 30 of 100 voices of military transition, either people who are going through the soup of actively applying and getting those rejection letters or getting those offers, the people that have been out one to four years and people who've been out at least five. Hey, transition is forever. Moving from the military into the civilian workforce is not something that just you flick a light switch. It's for a long time. So thanks so much for tuning in. And by the way, thanks to our special guests this episode. I'd like to say thanks to Autumn Wheeler, Sean Welsh, a Vet SOS podcast, Karen Sendra. Ooh, I love her outspokenness. And my fellow recruiter, Richie Lampani. I'm Cheryl Cross. You're listening to the Military to Civilian Career Transition Power Hour. And as I tell you each and every time, I'm going to tell you again. The military has given you great skills. You are strong, you are brave, you are skilled, and you are trained. These are all things that the civilian workforce needs and appreciates. You're going to find that great job. And I really appreciate you putting us on your journey as you focus on your career. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Audio and video post-production for the podcast is done by OceanTreeCreative.com. 